Well, a week from today, two teams are going to be squaring off in the Super Bowl. And I don't know how many of you really care about Kansas City or San Francisco and what team you're going to root for. Some people really, really do. But there's a lot of people who don't. You know, lines like, I don't have a dog in this fight. Or, you know, I just want to see the halftime show. That would not be me. Uh, Or the commercials. And some people won't be watching and some people will be. The reality is, is that we, we seem to like to pick teams or take sides. In another month, month and a half, March Madness. And I know particularly around this area, we've got people that are major supporters of college teams. I saw that with Clemson and LSU. And it's amazing how people choose sides or teams with that. And trash talk happens, right? And predictions happen and the polls and the road to the the final four and people are filling out their brackets and we're rooting for teams. You know, one of the fascinating ones to me, and I just cannot even mentally get into this, is the whole fantasy football thing. I don't know how many of you are into that. My two sons like fantasy football where you're picking individual players. See, I can never root against my team, so forget that. (laughs) Think about how we choose sides, hockey playoffs, NBA playoffs, baseball season, and then we're back to football season, which really most people are really looking for anyway. Or let's change gears from sports for a second. What's going on right now in the Senate? The impeachment hearing and people taking sides on television and getting, you know, very heated about it. Or some kind of political issue in general, socioeconomic, moral. Although many of the moral issues have become politicized. One of the commonalities that seems to be the case in our culture today is that there's division. That's one thing we all share in common, that there's division and people are taking sides. And I don't know if you caught in the two readings that we have that people took sides in the early church. And sometimes that happens in churches, too, where there's disunity and division. I don't sense that's the case here, at least at, in, at large, at St. Luke's. But it's amazing what can happen when division does happen, whether it's in churches or in countries, where you will even hear lines like, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. You ever heard that? I mean, that makes the point strongly about how division happens and how we can even line up with someone that we really don't like, but they're against someone that I dislike even more. It's a strange culture in which we live. And it doesn't seem to be getting better. But it's always been. There has been division since the beginning. 
Division between brothers, divisions between peoples and people groups. And in fact, Jesus Christ, who came to be, as promised at his birth, the Prince of Peace. Jesus Christ, who is, as we say, Emmanuel, God incarnate, God with us. Meant to bring that kind of love to bear. Even Jesus Christ talks about division. He talks about how when he comes, there's going to be division among people. Even though he came with that not as a goal, not on his mind, not on his heart, but a natural consequence of people making choices. Let me read to you from Matthew's Gospel, and I encourage you to look at this later. Look in your bulletin, look at the outlines. I always put scriptures in there, hopefully, that you'll look up later and think about. But this is out of Matthew chapter 10, when he's talking about discipleship and what's going to happen when people take seriously the Gospel, that they take seriously a commitment to Christ. First you have Jesus talking about coming persecutions. And he says, "...and you will be hated by all because of my name." Just because we identify ourselves as walking with Jesus. When you mention the name Jesus, you will notice some people taking a position against you. Whether it's overt or subtle. Whether they pull back or disagree with you. That's what happens. Out there. Going further... So have no fear of them. See, what can happen in us is we can pull back. Instead of being a witness, instead of being a light, instead of loving people in the culture and trying to reach them with the gospel, which Jesus did by mere proclamation, he just tried to reach them. And because of the division, because of the attacks, some of the disciples would fall into fear. And then we read Jesus saying, and this has always been fascinating to me, Do not think that I've come to bring peace on the earth. I've come to bring, not to bring peace, but a sword. Now what's he saying there? Is he saying that his goal is to bring division? No, what he's saying is that I really am coming to bring the gospel. I'm really coming to bring peace and joy and love into the world. But there are people who don't want want that. It's really hard for us to conceive or think about that. But there are people who don't want the gospel and thereby don't want the love and the peace and the joy that comes through knowing Christ. As scripture would talk about, people love darkness. Do you ever walk into a room and it's totally pitch black, maybe someone's sleeping, and you turn on the light, shut that light off, right? That's what we're talking about. Jesus would say people love darkness. And when the light of Christ comes to your heart and your mind and you begin to shine with that light, there are people who don't want that because they want to stay in darkness. Because it's in the darkness that they experience what they want. What they want to believe. They don't want the light. 
Because the light challenges them. It brings change. And that's what the word repent is. It's the first word out of Jesus' mouth, as well as John the Baptist. Repent, it means change. Change your mind, change your heart. And as Paul writes in Corinthians, so that we have one mind, one purpose. And it's Jesus Christ in our lives. Transforming our lives, which means we need to change. All of us. That we, as we grow and we mature, we become more and more one with Christ. And if we're becoming one with Christ, the natural byproduct is we become one with one another. Or at least that's the way it's supposed to work. Because Jesus enlightens every person who comes to Jesus by faith. And the light is life. That we're to celebrate and enjoy life. That's what John 1 is all about. As John's gospel unfolds, the light breaking into the world comes back over and over again. But also the idea that darkness does not like light. To the point that you get to, by the time Jesus is in the upper room with them, John 15 talks about how the world will hate you because you go out in my name. That's always boggled my mind. This is just kind of an aside. Has that ever bothered you? People get so angry when you just talk about Jesus or you just start proclaiming or preaching or praying in the name of Jesus. People get so angry. That that has always boggled my mind. See, but it points it out. There's division. And it's not that we are trying to be divisive. It's that we are trying to be faithful as Jesus was faithful. If the world hates me, it will hate you. So even though division is, if you will, natural out in the world, it is not meant to be natural in the church. It is meant to be something that dissipates over time. As we take on the mind and the purpose of Jesus Christ. We learn what it means to grow together, to love one another, to sacrifice. That's really what scripture talks about as the body of Christ. And that's why Paul, early in the the letter to the Corinthians, when he does his greeting and he talks about how thankful he is for them, immediately says, now there's not supposed to be any division amongst yourselves. And what were people doing in their division? They were saying, I'm part of the Paul party. I'm part of the Apollos party. I'm part of the Cephas, which is Peter party. I'm part of the Christ party. I'm better than all of you. I mean, that's what they were doing. They were choosing a star. People always need something tangible To say, well, that's what I'm about. You know, it's like your mascot with your baseball team or football team. And if that's what we're doing, we're missing the point. Because really, it's not about this individual. It's not about the star, the rock star that I hold on to. It's about the mind and the purpose of Jesus Christ. And even in the church, people will want to choose sides with different people. 
And what is really the source of our unity? It's not only Jesus Christ and the cross. It's also the word of God that we're growing in the knowledge and love of him through his word. And his word becomes our guide for how we are to be in our character. How the Holy Spirit can take us and change our minds and change our hearts. That's what the word repentance is about. It's only a beginning though. That as we submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit, guided by the word of God, we are changed. And we become more and more like him. That's why Paul even said, you know, I really tried to avoid even baptizing anybody amongst you. Because that becomes your handle. Instead of Jesus. And that's how people were choosing sides. He said, I came primarily to proclaim. Because it's about the word of God. It's about Christ and his cross in you. It's about the Holy Spirit working in you. It's really about that word taking hold in your life. And when it does, you begin to change. We become different and we seek that difference together. I mean, the reality is, what is the cross about? It's about dying to sin, our brokenness, our failures, our struggles, our selfishness. We die to sin and we die to self. That's what the cross is about. The baptism symbolizes that. But it's the reality of faith in our hearts and lives that changes that. So that when we adhere, when we hold on to Jesus, and he dwells in us, we empty ourselves. When Paul writes to the Philippians and says, have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say, who emptied himself? See, it's no longer about us. It's about him. It's about loving him and then thereby loving others with his love. That's why the church is really designed to be a family. That's what Jesus talks about too. And families squabble sometimes, right? Not your family, maybe mine. Family squabbles sometimes. But the goal is working it out. The goal is staying together. The goal is there's something bigger here than just me and my wants. That's what family understood before. But as our culture increasingly becomes all about me, we can lose sight of the marriage, the family. I mean, it's amazing to me, because I've dealt with so many deaths over the years, I've also dealt with the families and sometimes some of the fallout. It is amazing how crossways people can get when there's a will and an inheritance. I don't know how many of you have seen that, experienced that. It is amazing to me. And it represents something in the world. There it is. Something in the world that I can hold on to, that I can get, that it's about me, that I want. Whatever it represents. 
I can have more things. I can have more pleasure. I can do what I want. It represents the love of my parents. I don't know. But people get so bent out of shape because they want. That siblings sometimes don't talk for years or ever again because of that. See, and that's what can happen in any family, including what is meant to be the church family. And how destructive that is. Because we get fixated on the thing, the stuff, the world. And we miss the point. And that's why Paul would say, was I crucified for you? No. Jesus was crucified for you. So you'll understand the source of what your transformation is meant to be about. That Jesus is the one who took upon himself our sin. Our failures, our struggles, because we need a Savior, because we don't have it together, because we need to submit to his mind, his heart, his purpose, and thereby be transformed. And that's why Paul says, don't look to me. Look to the word, look to my words. Look to Jesus, the one who I'm pointing to. Open yourself to the transformation and power of the Holy Spirit working in you to bring about his fruit. That's what Paul's saying. That's the goal. And then he goes on to say, so that the cross will not be emptied of its power. Because if we get off center, then we lose sight of the power of God working in our lives. It once again becomes about us and our wills and our desires and what we want and what we need or our party and what it is we want to support, our team. We miss the point. When we really come to the cross and understand the power of the cross, the death to sin and self, and we're transformed that his grace begins to flow through us by faith. And the fruit of the Spirit begins to come, the love and the joy and the peace. doesn't mean the world's going to buy into it. But we individually, and we in our families, and we in the church, that's what we need to be about. You know, some of you know, on Wednesday nights I'm going to be teaching the Acts of the Apostles. And one of the reasons why I think it's such an important book, particularly a follow-up to Jesus Game Changer, is because the power of just seeing the early church work out this stuff that we're still working out today because we're human. And we always seem to fall back into the same stuff. But Acts of the Apostles portrays an honest picture of the early church working out its challenges. Like, for example, in Acts chapter 15, the Council of Jerusalem, what was going on? Well, the church was spreading, and the church was going into the Gentile world, the pagan world. And the Jews were the keeper of the faith up till then. And so they begin to mix. And they came together in Acts 15, and they had basically a discussion, a debate, whatever you want to call it, 
to talk about, okay, now that all these Gentiles are coming in, which was originally an anathema to the Jews, but when they came together through Christ in faith, these barriers and they, the walls came down and they said, okay, we've got to work on the basics. What is essential? They don't need to become full-fledged Jews. They don't need to fit into the totality of the Old Testament. But what do we want is essential? And they worked it out. First, Paul shared his testimony, and then other people shared their testimony. And then Peter, he shares his thoughts. And then James, the brother of Jesus, who emerged as the leader of the church, said, okay, this is our decision, and everybody agreed to it. Great stuff. It shows you how we should begin to work things out. But, as often happens, down the road, and you'll see this in Paul's letter to the Galatians, Peter and Paul get into it. Because Peter kind of fell back into, well, really, maybe we should be Jews first. You know, he kind of fell into that. Peter! Happens. And then they worked it out again. Paul confronted him. That's what we're supposed to do. That's what family does. Then later on, when Paul's on his missionary journeys, he had Barnabas with him, John Mark joined them, Silas joined them, and John Mark kind of failed, so... He said, I'm not taking John Mark with me. And Barnabas said, I will. Barnabas, his name means encourager. He's the one that helped encourage Paul. He went off with John Mark. Paul went off with Silas. And then we read at the end of 2 Timothy, Paul says, please bring Mark. He's useful to me. They worked it out. We don't know when, we don't know how, but they worked it out. How many people today write other people off or put them on the other side? We're supposed to be on the same team. We're supposed to be family. We're supposed to learn how to work things out. That's part of spiritual growth. Writing things off, writing people off, is not part of spiritual growth. Staying hateful, hurtful toward one another is not spiritual growth. Spiritual growth is learning how to deal with conflict in the church, as the family of God. Learning to love one another in spite of, as well as because of, that person. Because you're not perfect either. Sorry. So that we can take it to the world, so that we can be a witness to the world. That's what Jesus talks about. That's what Scripture talks about. And learning that lesson. It doesn't mean that it's easy. Spiritual growth isn't always easy. But we become more and more the mind and the heart and the purpose of Christ. Jesus got frustrated with his apostles. They were boneheads at times. But he sought to teach them and to draw them and to love them and forgive them. That's the church. So is this place perfect? No, it's not perfect. But Jesus intends for us to be part of the body of Christ together. It means, in fact, if you read later on in Corinthians, there are differences. But those differences, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, are meant to be complementary. That we're to see each other as valuable. And in that middle chapter, right in between those three chapters, 1 Corinthians 13, it's about loving each other. 
You know, the reality is, Steve referred to Psalm 139 last week. Psalm 139 is our psalm for the day. If you look at the daily lectionary, we read it at the early service. Psalm 139 talks about how God knows us completely. He knows who you are in your thoughts, in your heart, your intentions, your motivations, your desires, as well as your words and your actions. He knows everything about you. So you can't really hide and you can't really pretend with God. We sometimes try because we think we're getting it away with other people. We're getting away with it with God. It doesn't work. But God sent his son Jesus to go to the cross for you, who you are, where you are right now. And he loves you and he forgives you and he wants you in the family. Tenaciously, he loves you. Giving his life to show you the depth. That's the mind of Christ. That's his purpose for us. As we seek to be the church and witness what it means to be his to a world that is divided and broken. So let's be his family. Let's pray. Lord God, we live in a broken and divided culture, society, where there's so much division and hurt and anger and unforgiveness. And Lord, your call in our lives is to come to a ever-deepening understanding of what it means to have your mind, to live for your purpose, and to begin to do that in the church as we shape and mold and grow one another, as we ourselves are shaped, as we're all being transformed by your word, by your grace, by the power of your Holy Spirit working in us. Lord, cause us constantly to seek your mind, to grow in the knowledge and love of you, to be students of your word. Give us humble spirits as Jesus emptied himself so we would empty ourselves and be filled with your spirit and transformed. And by your grace, learn what it means to be your family and help change the world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.